Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hey, it's your boy Billy, and you're still maintaining that you're people's boy. I'm then? people's boy. Okay, I am the people's boy. I don't like the sound. Okay, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, I'm 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 Topher, and it's a pleasure to be here with. with our, our boy, Billy. It's always a pleasure when your boy Billy's with you. <laughs> How are you doing, buddy? Well, we're not having a very good day, are we? Oh, mate, I haven't been having a very good week. <laughs> <laughs> and you've just been on leave for, what, four days? Been traversing the country. In Melbs. Yeah. Vibey <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> How was that? As it is eat known, some good food? I ate some pretty handy food, yeah. just quietly. Did you get to the pitches and- at all? Uh, didn't go to didn't go to the movies. No, but you didn't need to because this week we're doing a classic. Yes, we are. Yeah, little little throwback, throwback. Because uh, the last classic that we would have done would have been Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last one we did? Have we done one since Space Odyssey? No, that would have been it. Which w- is why it brings us to my turn. Of course. So it's a it's a it's a film that one of us hasn't seen. In this case, me and I love. And I chose 1951's Strangers on a Train, Hitchcock classic. Now, correct me if I'm remembering this wrong. Have you told me that you're not a Hitchcock fan? So I was thinking about how to ex- explaining this just yesterday. I was so like, it, it was you, though. I'm not remembering. It, that's wrong. true. For me, I have a similar relationship with Hitchcock than I do with the band Radiohead. So music fans love Radiohead. As, I mean, as they are, all decent people should. They are held in genuine esteem. Tom York is a brilliant songwriter and, yeah, okay. Not, you my, don't- not my brand of whiskey. Okay. And I don't – if people ask me about Radiohead, I don't say, no, I think they suck. Because even though I don't like them, there's too many people whose opinions <laughs> I value who think that they're the bee's knees yeah. to go, they suck. They, they mustn't. They can't. They just don't do it for me. Right, so you can appreciate the art of it. It's just not your style. Yeah, but when I hear Tom York sing, I'm like, well, now I want to kill myself as well. <laughs> so just pull your socks up, Tom. <laughs> so I just I, I I leave Radiohead to the Radiohead fans. Hitchcock, I mean, it's it's Alfred Goddamn Hitchcock. The dude knew how to make a film, and yet. Doesn't really do it for me. Wow. And so how much, like, what is your Hitchcock knowledge? I'm assuming you've seen- I reckon I've seen five or six Hitchcock films. Okay. So that would be what, like Psycho, Rear Window? It is Psycho, Birds, Dial M for Murder, which I do love. Yeah. Uh, South by Southwest, which I like. Yeah. Don't love it, but but I liked it. Strangers on a Train. And that might be it. Oh, man. You've got some gaps that you need filled then. <laughs> you, 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 Do you want to put that another way? Phrase that. You got some holes that you need filled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a point of shame that I haven't seen Vertigo, but I I just don't get excited about Hitchcock. Well, and that has me nervous for this episode then, because I thought I was picking a genuine classic. Then I remembered that you don't like Hitchcock, and I'm like, I bet he didn't like this movie. Mm. So let's get right into it. Did you like this movie? I didn't dislike it. Okay. <laughs> so we're off to a flying start. <laughs> okay. That's not that's not hey, it could be worse. It could be sphere. <laughs> well, let's get into it then. Strangers on a Train, as we said, made by Alfred Hitchcock. It's based on the novel that was written only a year earlier by Patricia Highsmith, who also gave the world talented Mr. Ripley. Right. Yep. Uh he purchased the rights for the book for only seven grand. 
He purposefully That's kept probably his- probably a fair bit, though. Well, he kept his name out of the dealings to keep it so low. Apparently, she was pissed because if she knew it was Hitchcock, she would have- Cha-ching. Exactly. Um, and it went through a ton of different rewrites. Credited as a writer is Raymond Chandler, famous you know, mystery novelist, who actually had nothing to do with the final write of this film. Him and Hitchcock did nothing but argue and disagree about the story and the dialogue, so- his his edit had nothing to do with the final. So, written by Whitfield Cook and starring Farley Granger, Ruth Roman, and Robert Walker. So, what's it about, Toph? So, old mate, Guy. Yep. Who's a young, handsome, up-and-coming person in society, also a gun tennis player. Yep. He meets this off-tap dickhead yeah. on a train yep. who tells him about an idea he's had for offing people. By which, if you've got someone you want killed and I've got someone I want killed, we do each other's dirty work because then you'll have an alibi for where you were at the time and there'll be no motive. No link to the murder. And we'll both be rid of these people and we'll both get away with it. And Guy's like, you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is when Guy says, you're a fucking weirdo, I'm out, that we get our obligatory Hitchcock cameo. It is. Which 11 minutes into the film. Is at its about as subtle and well worked into a film than Stan Lee is in MCU <laughs> movies. It's like, stop the movie. Alfred's getting on a train. <laughs> yeah. Of, of all of the Hitchcock cameos, this is the most awkward. Not a great one, is it? I don't know why they decided he'd be carrying a giant double base as well, because he's already a big enough dude. It's like he barely seems to fit through the door as it is. So they Happily, he just looks like a viola when he's doing it. <laughs> it's literally probably like a 10, 15 second shot of him just trying to get onto a train. It's not his best, is it? It isn't the best. <laughs> it's not the best. <laughs> well, one of the things I like the the most about this film. Like, I'm a very big fan of this film. I think the plot is great. I'm a fan of the dialogue. I think it's shot extraordinarily well, as most Hitchcock films are. I think, you know, like I watched this this time for the first time, I think, in glorious HD. And oh, I mean, God, it must have been close to 50 episodes now when we revisited Casablanca, which I hadn't seen at the time. And we spoke then about the the soft focus and the blur and how even in HD, it had this very old look to it. I know that that is an older film than Strangers on a Train, but this was such a crisp, clean image through the whole film. You could forget that this is a 60-year-old film. You could watch this film today and think like that it was just filmed in black and white stylistically as a choice. It's a great example of- a certain type of lighting that was happening at a certain time yes. in filmmaking. The the angle, specifically here, the angle of the key light and where the shadow of a nose falls yeah. is really consistent scene to scene. And it was a this was a very tried and tested way of lighting people because it was reasonably flattering, yet you could still do a bit of dramatic work because you did have fall off on one side of the face. Yeah. Um, so it's a great example of how films were lit at a certain point in time. Yeah, but there is some great dramatic lighting as well too. Like there's that scene where Bruno and Guy, where, where Bruno first tells Guy, I've done the murder, and they kind of back into that alley together and there's the, the shadow of the the light through the gate that almost looks like prison bars on their face. Mm. Or the other great, the, that brilliant tense scene where Bruno has dropped the lighter and he's down in the sewer trying to get it. And just the way that the light falls on his hand and on the lighter, 
I just thought it was exceptionally well done. My favourite shot in the entire film is when Bruno's just kind of stalking Guy around Washington, D.C. Yeah, And there's a wide shot of Bruno in front of some columns at, I actually don't know the name of the building, someone will, um, and he's he's basically sil- he's he's small in the frame, but basically silhouetted against the background, which is lighter than him. And it is a shit hot shot. It's yeah. brilliant. I mean, Hitchcock he knew lighting, he knew cinematography, and he knew set pieces. So the book was actually set much further south. The book was set around the Florida region, and it was Hitchcock who changed the setting to that kind of northeast corridor. And and I think he did that because stylistically, he that was just his vision for the landscape. And I just think it works so well in this film. Now, you said before you really like the dialogue in the film. I kind of- I bump on the dialogue. Yeah. Um, just because it's a very- and this isn't- this is something that that can work. Like, not all films need natural dialogue. Yeah. By no means. But in this film, you have things like, after Bruno was told, Guy, all right, well, I've murdered your one. Yeah. And Guy says, you crazy fool. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> people don't talk like that. They don't, but I think that's a sign of the time. Like, how many films from pre-1965 even would you say have what you'd consider natural dialogue? See, I, to- I do totally agree with that. But comparing, like, you brought up Casablanca before. Casablanca is not natural dialogue, but it's really theatrical and engaging, I find. Yeah. Whereas this one, I just find a bit more- I wonder if that's oof. to do with the fact that Casablanca was originally a play written for the stage. Could well be. Yeah, because, I, I mean, very rarely do you see a film from this kind of period where the dialogue isn't kind of hammy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. And I think for me what it is that makes the dialogue work is the acting. I think the acting in this film is exceptional. I think both Guy and Bruno are so wonderfully cast, and they were actually cast by accident. Hitchcock was forced to go with people that the studio already had and and he's actually he came out later saying this was the exact right thing to do because these actors i was he said that he was able to save 20 minutes of reel because they were able to be so expressive with their faces that he needed less exposition and i think that's definitely true mm. how did you feel about the acting in the film i really liked guy yeah um bruno in one way it totally worked for me because i find him just stunningly unlikable, yes. which is the point, of yeah. course. But and Hitchcock has this in his kit bag where he can make someone who's definitely a bad guy, but they also totally draw you in. Yeah, it's that kind of charming dapper. Yes, look, I, Dial In For Murder's prime example of that. Yeah. Whereas Bruno, I'm just like, yuck, get off my screen. Just a bit too creepy for yeah. you. And, of course, you can tell that he's a bad egg and clearly a criminal yeah. from that time he gets- You know, there's a scene where he gets on a bus- and there's like two people on this bus. Every other seat is empty, and he sits next to someone. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, "Fuck you, Bruno! That is a dick move." That's- have you have you ever been on a like you're you're on a bus? It's basically empty. Someone gets on, and you just know they're sitting next to you, oh. and you're like, "Why?" You, you know Why? what's worse? Cinemas. Have you ever been in a virtually empty cinema, and someone takes the seat next to you, or, yes. or like, it's so strange. It's like. At least pick a different row. And then <laughs> and then do you move? I know. And then you're that scummy dude who takes your shoes off in cinemas. I haven't done that in a long time. You promise? I promise. Good, because you shouldn't. Although we're coming into summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst time to do it, you sweaty pig. I do only do that in empty cinemas. 
let me let me be clear. I do not go to, you know, opening night of Star Wars and like <laughs> get rid of these bad boys. <laughs> get some of this up yet. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad for that. And by empty I mean if like if we were going, I'd do it. <laughs> but other people I wouldn't do it too. <laughs> but I think that's the point. Like, there's never supposed to be a question that Bruno is Insane. Oh, From yeah. the very first moment he oh, gets on the train. That shit. You know, and Guy kind of engages in conversation with him, but several times is like, mate, stop talking. Yeah, he's like politely. Yeah, I I, I love Guy in those scenes. Yeah. It's it's a perfect balance of politeness and I'll fuck off. <laughs> and that that's the thing. I think that that's, what, that's where the story really gets going is that Guy is just kind of trying to be polite. He's trying to brush him off just thinking, well, this guy's not. Serious, but that you never know who's serious. <laughs> like you never. People know. are very strange these People days. Are very strange these days. <laughs> Said the poet Tommy Wiseau. Um, my best on ground though, um, of characters in the film, Barbara, Bar- little Babs, love Babs with her Coke bottle glasses. Exactly the uh, that is the the younger sister of the woman that and. guy is now with and ends. And I mean, she's not a nothing character, but her sister, Babs, what a gun. <laughs> Absolute gun. We need a spin-off film of Barbara. <laughs> Babs on a train. <laughs> and one thing about Anne, though, she's Sherlock Holmes-level perceptive. When she sees Bruno being a bit of a creeper and something about glasses, yeah, and she just puts the whole thing together. I know. <laughs> I was like, whoa. She's basically Batman. And Anne's a gun. <laughs> Like, but, I said she's a bit of a nothing character, and for a lot of the time she is. But in that scene, it's like, holy shit, Anne's amazing. <laughs> but that is one thing I like about this film and about Hitchcock in general is that the women could be utilised far less in, you know, for this time period. It's it's not like she's the hero, but she actually plays quite a substantial part in the story. Yeah, Anne could very easily just be this kind of vapid yeah. Background. Which in a ornament. lot of movies from that era, she would be, or she would just be a romantic lead. Certainly. Yeah. And then she does kind of join the fray as such. Yeah. In the film. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, going back to what I said about Anne being a bit nothing, I'd say I would kind of split her screen time into two halves. Yeah. If the first half she is kind of a bit, she's just like, oh, yes, there's a very attractive 1950s actress. Yeah. Second half of her time in the film, she is Batman. And I think a lot of that is to do with the runtime as well. This is a nice, tight hour 40 film. I think, you know, if they wanted to expand on her character, they could in that period. But it doesn't feel like a short film. It doesn't feel short. You don't feel short changed. No. Like story wise. See, because you've, have you heard about the remake of this? You know who's doing this? Nope. Oh, mate. Fincher. Fincher's been attached to a lot of things over the years. (laughs) Okay, this is is weird and, and great. The opening shots of. Um, of feet getting out of cars going into the station. Yeah. And there's these kind of tracking shots and everything, which which are pretty cool. But in an, at, at that point in time, the size of cameras and everything, you could only do so much. Yeah. I was watching those opening scenes going, Fincher would direct the fuck out of this. Well, Fincher, I mean, it has been put on hold, but it was- As has everything of Fincher of the last decade. Well, it was three years ago. It was after Gone Girl- and it's it's effectively the the Gone Girl team. Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, was attached to write, Fincher to direct, and Affleck to star. So it has been put was, on hold. Do you know who Affleck would have been? Yeah, that's what I've been wondering. I don't know whether he. 
I'm assuming that he would be Guy. Same. A similar type character in terms of the politics and pleased with himself thing that he was in State of Play. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. State of Play is not bad. It's a okay. remake of an English film or TV series. I'm not sure. Right. Okay. I didn't. I quite liked it, actually. I mean, I think a remake of this film could be exceptional. Like, it's a, it's a storyline that has kind of been toyed with lots of times. Like, did you see Horrible Bosses a couple of years ago? No. That was kind of an adaptation of this in, in, a, in a similar sort of way. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think a remake could be done very well and Fincher would rock it. I think so. Yeah. Um, best guard dog ever. <laughs> <laughs> you done messed up, dog. <laughs> when Guy enters the house of Bruno's family. Yeah. Which he has a key, doesn't need to break in. He's got a key. Yeah. yeah. And then like, uh-oh. Banana peel here. There's a guard dog. <laughs> Happily, it's about as scary as if I broke into your house and ran into your dog. <laughs> Hero would just start licking your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shocking guard dog. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that Guy is a is a tennis player of yep. some regard. I appreciate Guy's net game. <laughs> you know? Following the serve in on, on grass surfaces is something of a lost art. But Guy's got game. I know nothing about tennis, but I very much enjoy the tennis scenes in this film. Ooh, strong volleyer. <laughs> <laughs> I like if I was a tennis fan of the time, I would have been team Guy for sure. You know, they actually shot those sequences at a, at a, a real, um, not Wimbledon, but <laughs> like quite an established tennis yeah. thing. Yep. Uh, the Open what is it was it was some kind of tennis thing. Well, you have several opens. <laughs> right. The um the open. It was one of those. I don't and think that's I don't think there's a club that's called the open. <laughs> and so that In was, fact, tennis clubs, particularly at the time, were probably anything but open. That's true. Yes. They were like, are you loaded white and, white? and male? Because <laughs> <laughs> if if you don't tick every one of those boxes, fuck off. There's the door. Uh yeah, that that was actually the first sequence they filmed. Was that t- which is odd for Hitchcock because I know that sometimes traditionally he has shot entirely in sequence. Right. This film was not like that. Um, but I uh, that that shot looking at the crowd and the entire crowd is great almost, shot almost comically great following the shot. ball left and right, and you just have Bruno just sitting there staring like shots like you know that. what I could have done without that because that shot um, pushes in. It does. As we're on it, which it does. Personally, I could have done without. I thought like it's clear enough. A zooming camera is a bad camera. <laughs> Ridley Scott likes a zoom. Yeah. You remember a few weeks ago when I rewatched Gladiator for the first time in ages? Is there a zoom in Gladiator? There's heaps of zooms in Gladiator. Wow, I've got to rewatch that. Is is he like JJ with his lens flares? <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. That's a lot of <laughs> zooms. <laughs> I'm just picturing like multiple zooms in the same shot now. Mm. Wow. Do you remember that document that I wrote up once for the- yeah. Those new camera people. Yeah. I was like, there's a time and a place for Zooms. It's called Never. <laughs> yeah. It's literally one of the first things you learn. It's, it, it is one of those shots that really is- That shot would never happen in a film today. The simple composition of the people looking left and right- Such the ball a good shot. City, It's just brilliant. I mean, there are some great shots in this film. What did you think about the the, the murder of Miriam? That whole sequence where a lot of the shot is shown in the reflection of her glasses on the ground. Yeah, it is a funny thing with um, like with Hitchcock, of course, because it deals with crime so much and, and violence and yet doesn't actually tend to show 
Yeah, very too really. much. Yeah, Strangers on a Train had a G rating, didn't it? I'm actually not familiar with the rating, but given my watch of it today, I wouldn't be surprised because the content is very grown up. Yeah, but he doesn't show. He's not. He's in no way gratuitous. Yeah, which is nice. I like it. Yeah, it's not just. It relies on zero shock value. Speaking of ratings, getting totally off track. Did you hear the news today about Deadpool two? No. Re-releasing it for Christmas as a PG film. It's called Once Upon a Deadpool. They've filmed a bunch of new sequences to reframe it as like a Princess Bride knockoff. So they've got um, so they've got Fred Savage like laying in bed, and Deadpool comes in to read him the story of Deadpool two. And they've just cut all the violence, all the language, and yet apparently it's only three minutes shorter. So I don't know how much extra footage they've added, and I don't know how they're going to make it make sense. But it is coming to cinemas in December. Oh, man. I'm really curious. I think this has to be the first time they've done that since Saturday Night Fever. I don't remember the cinema release for Saturday Night Fever too well. (laughs) Well, Saturday Night Fever, you know, it's got drugs. It's got quite a heavy rape scene. I haven't seen Saturday Night Fever. Really? Yeah. It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, they famously recut it into a PG and and re-released it in cinemas. Right. Yeah, made. I think they made like an extra ten mil or something from the re-release. Good for them. Um, <laughs> there's some fairly average police officer work in this film. Oh, there really is. Specifically, I'm thinking at the um. This happens at sort of a, in the climax at the back at the, of the, at the theme park. Carnival, yeah. Like the cops have this guy clearly surrounded. <laughs> Yes. And yet when he makes a bit of a run for it, in the direction of where there's more police officers, he's not getting away. Yeah. And this guy just unloads on him. Oh, no. <laughs> and then, dude. And then they shoot and kill the, the carousel worker. And it's like, oh, well, like no one even checks on that guy. <laughs> Shocking effort. And then they let the other carnival worker crawl under the carousel to turn it off. And they're like, oh, don't go. Oh, no, just let, uh, him, go. Be right. let him go. <laughs> he's an absolute hero. I love that guy. When they were- they're looking at this carousel going, and it's out of control. And they're like, what are we going to do? And this guy just, like, strolls up and goes, I'll handle it. And this guy's, like, 117 <laughs> so years old. He's like an old janitor. And, you know, that was that was a real stunt. Yeah. Yeah. I, so- assumed, I assumed it. I was like, I don't know if there's another way to do this. Exactly. So the carousel was not spinning that fast. You there can tell is- from when he's in fast forward. Yes. There's, the, there's that one shot when he comes out from underneath to turn the lever and you're like, that's pretty Benny Hill right there. But but apparently it was really quite dangerous even as it was. Well, oh, there is something about that sequence I hate though. What's that? When, when Guy's hanging on and Bruno's kicking his hands. Yeah. One good kick would break his fingers and he'd be done for. And yet, <laughs> this just goes on and on and on of Bruno going, whack, <laughs> whack, whack. Like, clearly not making yeah, contact. Yeah, but they go- they're going really fast. Might be hard to make contact. Well, then why is Guy like, ooh, ow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about that convincing, to yeah, be honest. No, well, because maybe he just had a burrito and he can feel it burning the other end. He's like, ah. Doesn't happen to you? I think I can handle my spices better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another bit of stunning police work. At the end, when, like, Bruno's crushed by this thing, and Guy's like, I want to go through his pockets to get the- The lighter. (laughs) And the police officer's like, no, no, no. Besides, he says he doesn't have it. I know. Really, copper? He says he doesn't have it, so (laughs) don't bother. 
And and then he does have it so that- well, then Why are they even investigating? Guy said he didn't do it. Well, that's <laughs> it. And, then, and then he does have it so immediately, case closed. Okay, yeah. Case closed. He does have it in his hand. Case closed. And like, we know that Guy is innocent of the crime, although he's guilty of, like, obstruction of justice and, <laughs> and things, but he is innocent of the crime. Yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah, over. And like, that doesn't, like, we know he's innocent, but that doesn't clear him. No. But the cop's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Donut time. <laughs> the cops are terrible. It's like when um, when Guy has his alibi, old mate from the trainer was sloshed, yep. and uh, I don't know, I'm sitting there going, I still think that's an alibi. It's still pretty sound. It's pretty sound. Like, Guy he, knew that he, he was on the train. He knew the guy's train. name. He knew he was on the train. He knew where he had just been because he was telling him about some speech he made. Like, so what if he doesn't- like, I don't know. Is that not an, an alibi? It would appear, anyway, that Guy is still going to live with something of a life sentence from this whole ordeal, which is that he's going to be a dick to everyone for Every- the rest of time. Yeah. Final scene of the film. A guy talks to him on a train. Oh, so you saw that cut. I was just about to ask which cut of the film you Okay, saw. I didn't know that this was a thing. Mm. We'll continue with what you're saying. Right. So this guy's like, hey, aren't you that tennis player? And Guy goes to say, well, yes, I am. And instead goes, I'm going to change seats. <laughs> yeah. Eat a dick. <laughs> Suck a fat one, minister. He's a man of God. <laughs> Was he? Yeah. I didn't he's got, pick the, he's got the little collar on. All right. Yeah. And he's like, bog off back to your church, mate. I don't want to talk to you. So now he's rude and probably a presumed Satanist. Yeah. So that is what is known as the American cut. Okay. Which the other version, the British cut, ends at the carnival before he talks on the phone and before they're on the train. Okay. And that is the version that Hitchcock wanted and has advocated for. Okay. And it was the studio who said, no, 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 we'll add this this shot on the train. Interesting, because I, as we were talking about it just now, I yep. was thinking, you don't need that scene. No, you don't. And so Hitch- Hitchcock hated that scene. But it's weird. Even though they call it the British cut and the American cut, it's not like they actually showed differently. The British one was just the original one, and then the American one is just- what has is become- The widespread distribution. Yeah. Well, I'm with old Alfredo, as he's known to his friends. <laughs> True story. Really? No. <laughs> Can't back that up. <laughs> All right. So, uh, are we at the end? Yeah, I think so. Moment of truth. What are you scoring it? So, as the film went on and on, I started to like it more and more. Yeah. The Particularly the sequence where guys actually playing the tennis match- and there is kind of this ticking clock element. Where to- it's cutting between the tennis match and exactly. the lighting. Uh, um, brilliant edit. I like that part of the film. Yeah. All in all, in my kind of Hitchcock radiohead it's just not kind of way, it just doesn't do it for me. But, um, but you can appreciate but the part of it. You look at the cinematography. The filmmaking and the itself. Absolutely. Can't like help but The creation it. of tension in the film and, and the creation of character, I think. Like, you kn- from that first scene on the train, you know who Guy and Bruno are. And I feel like they're fairly well fleshed out characters. So I'm a six out of ten. But if someone came to me and said, should I watch Strangers on a Train? I'd say, absolutely. You'll probably like it. And just not tell them that I don't particularly because of this weird thing I have with Hitchcock films. I think that six is the highest you've ever scored one of my throwbacks. We're coming off a pretty low base. We've had some classics, mate. Spirited Away, I think you gave a six. 
Was that a six or a seven? I think that was a six because I remember being shocked. Okay. Uh, Princess Mononoke, I believe, was a six. Both of those would be strong sixes, yep. not weak sixes. Sphere, shockingly, less than a five, if I remember correctly. Because it's just <laughs> god awful. John Carter. Also not a classic. John Carter, like, not a classic. less than five. Also not a classic. Fuck you. <laughs> I will never be happy until we get John Carter too. You hear that, well, wife and children? I will you're never, never going to be happy. <laughs> and now Strangers on a Train. Yep. Six. I, th- I genuinely think that's the highest you've scored one of my throwbacks. That's well, a positive review. Well, I'm just going to have to shit all over your next throwback. All right. It's going to be the Godfather, yes. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm an eight out of ten. I love this film. I think it's really, really well made. I think, like, I'm, I am a Hitchcock fan, and as far as Hitchcock goes, I think this would be in the top five for me. I don't know what it is. Because I can admire- I know what it is. I can admire- I know what it is. What is it? You hate fun. You hate life. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, um, well, yeah, like, like with other Hitchcock films, I can admire the filmmaking and for some weird reason, just don't enjoy it. Well, I appreciate that you took the time to watch it. I'm happy I did. I'm glad you did. I'm happy I did. What are we getting to next week? Well, we've got a bit of a- um, We've got a decision on our hands. Yeah, we do. We can decide live on mic here. Let's so, do it. We've got, uh, my understanding is that we get Boy Erased, the one where Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman send off their son to, like, pray the gay away. We've got Suspiria, and we've got Girl in the Spider's Web. All right. I would, I think maybe I'd stump for Suspiria. You want Suspiria? Yeah. I am shocked by that. That was going to be my choice as well, and I was like, Topher's never going to want to see Suspiria. You want to see that over Girl in the Spider's Web? Oh, I'm I'm oh, I've I already have a set against Girl in the Spider's Web because it's not Larson and it's not Fincher and it's not yes. Okay, wow, I was sure you were going to want to do that one. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm keen for Suspiria. This is one that I've been excited about for a long time. Have you seen the original? I have not. I didn't think you would, being not a horror fan. You know that it's one of the classic horrors. You know, I've only ever heard that since this remake came around. I don't feel like anyone cared that much about Suspiria, really, until this one came around. Oh. Maybe just maybe in certain communities, maybe um, widely you're correct, but I think certainly in the horror community, yep. it's it's a, it's a mainstay. I first saw it probably about three years ago, which I think was before I heard about the remake. I actually know very little about the remake. I haven't seen any trailers. Is this the one with Tilda Swinton playing an old man? Yeah, she plays three or four characters in it. Really? Um, and it was a we. I remember it was being like, oh, really? When when I heard that the the director of Call Me by Your Name, his follow up was going to be. Suspiria. I was like, yeah. that's not where your mind necessarily jumps to. Yeah. But I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then Tilda Swinton, where do you stand on the old T-Swiz? Oh, I think, I think, I think Tilda's a gun. Yeah. I think she's a weirdo, but I think she can bloody well act. Yeah. And yeah. she may in fact be Tom York. <laughs> you seen a picture of them next to each other? And have you ever seen them in the same room? I've never seen them in the same room. Tilda is Tom. I've also, I've also never seen- Actually, and, and Tom Smith York, Tom York did the, has- did the music for Suspiria. Really? Or did he? <laughs> Tilda's already doing every other job. <laughs> Just throw a piano at her. <laughs> Not literally. That's what I was picturing. <laughs> like Looney like, Tunes style. Yeah. I was thinking like the, the witch in The Wizard of Oz. Just one little shoe sticking out under a piano. Yep. So Tilda, half the roles in the film, <laughs> and I'm calling it also the score. All right. I'm, I'm really excited. I did not think in a million years you'd be keen on Suspiria. 
Well, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. Throw us a few dollars, give us your cash, we can buy some sandwiches. (laughs) And uh, in the meantime, go watch a movie. You can do better than that. More energy? I don't know where I'm going with this. Cut that.